Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. I wonder if you'd be willing to think about suffering this morning. Your suffering. You already know, uh, some of you know that, as Adrian referenced, I I would characterize the last 18 months of my life using that word, suffering, but this goes way beyond me this morning. I was just just thinking of the people who just led us in worship. I'm going through each person um, and the suffering that is represented and that brought forth worship this morning by these, just the five people on stage. I was thinking of our life group. We're in Scott and Julie Miller's life group, and I'm picturing their faces in my mind, and the suffering that's represented in that group, recent and in the past. And then I think about you. I don't know everybody in the room, but I know many, and I know there's suffering represented in this room. Uh, Suffering now, pain, disappointment, heartbreak, Sickness, disease, frustration, anxiety, suffering now. I know some of you can look back on your life having suffered and have come through it by the grace of God. I, even online, there's a, um, there's a precious woman who's likely online with us right now. She's very faithful every Sunday. She lives in another state, but she worships with us online. She's buried both of her children before the age of 40. Then there's this email I now know I have prostate cancer, the slow advancing kind that might someday take me. Maybe not. My wife and I haven't slept in the same bedroom for a year, and we haven't had a meaningful conversation in that time. One of my children turned out as we'd hoped, but the others are far from that. My back hurts all the time, and the most fun I've had in the past two weeks is testing positive for COVID. So where's God? Now normally, I would be very tempted at this point in a message to include some of my famous quip or clever line to lighten the load. And I almost did, and I almost did, but that's not what God has for us this morning. Not with Passion Week bearing down on us. He wants us to look at suffering. And and if you can't talk about suffering in this place, in this church, at this time, When can you? I'd suggest there's no safer place, no better place, no better time to hear the glorious news of your suffering, if you're willing. 
You've already heard our text this morning, but let's dig deeper into it. It's Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. And you might as well keep it open in front of you because I'm going to be staying in it the whole time. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Of course, everything is in the version event. During the days of Jesus' life on earth. Now, the writer of Hebrews is careful to introduce it that way because he wants us to know that he's not just talking about the ultimate suffering of the Lord that we'll be honoring in a couple of weeks. He's not just talking about that. He's talking about the days of his life. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Yes, Jesus was fully God. And yes, for you, he was fully human. Our sinless, precious Jesus sobbed and cried. Our Savior, our King of Kings, suffered. Uh, I like how David Guzik frames the theology of it. He writes, though Jesus was God and is God, Yet he learned obedience. God, enthroned in heaven's glory, can only experience obedience by casting off the glory of the throne and humbling himself as Jesus did. Surely there's no need for obedience in heaven because there's no disobedience. As God, Christ had access to divine omniscience and omnipotence. However, according to scripture, He chose to experience human weakness, such as hunger and fatigue. He also chose to experience learning and growth. In Luke, Jesus is said to have learned through his struggles. In the context of the original writing, the concept of learning is intimately tied with experiencing. The focus is not much on Jesus becoming aware of what suffering is, but Jesus actually putting into practice What he was called to do, he suffered. There's a strange word in uh, Greek in verse 7. It doesn't really fit. The text in English said he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. The word fervent is iskeros. It doesn't fit there because it normally means mighty. Do you think of tears being mighty. Here they are. Mighty tears. Tears in the Lord are mighty. That should help your theology of suffering, his and yours. And the text could have ended on verse 8, could have ended on that very powerful. When I first found Hebrews 5.8, I just kept going over it and over it. He learned obedience from what he suffered. But if the writer of Hebrews ended there, he would leave out glory. The glory that we'll see follows suffering. Hebrews 5.9 says, this is the result of his suffering. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Eternal salvation. Life forever in paradise for those in Christ. 
But there's no verse 9 without the verses before. There's no eternal salvation without mighty tears. There's no victory without obedience, and there's no obedience without suffering. And if you have it open, you'll notice there are two instances of obedience in this Hebrews text. There's his in verse 8, learn through suffering, and then there's ours in verse 9. Eternal salvation for all who obey him. Fact is, though, if you're in Christ this morning, and I don't assume everyone is, you're all over Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. If that isn't clear enough, we're going to read something from the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, he's the one who was crucified upside down because he didn't want the honor of sharing the same death as his friend. He helps us understand Hebrews 5, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Apostle Peter writing, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may overwhelm, be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There it is again, suffering followed by glory. And maybe Peter heard that from Paul, writing in Romans 8. Paul says to the church of Rome, you know how we know if we're children of God? I'll tell you. If indeed we share in his sufferings. There's no disconnect between his suffering and ours. As always, Jesus is our example. If the Lord himself, the Messiah himself, learned obedience from suffering. If Jesus the King found his pathway to glory through the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, how can we possibly think we won't? How can we be surprised by our own suffering? We're taken aback by it. But it's more than that. And I can't believe I'm going to say this. I almost wrote in my notes, you sure you want to say this? But I think it, so I don't need it in my notes. It's more than that. As a disciple of Christ Jesus, I need suffering in my life. And so do you. There is no glory on the other side. All of the things that we want and need is on the other side of suffering. Nothing comes apart from it. Not freedom from sin. Not glory and joy. Not peace that passes understanding. Not the strength of the Lord. Not healthy relationships. All that glory finds its first heartbeats in suffering. Now, hear me out. No one seeks suffering. That's not what I'm suggesting. And you already know that I've been dealing with this idea for many, many months now. And in my quiet times with the Lord, this has been a topic of conversation. So I've been processing this. I'm not suggesting anyone wants suffering. But in Christ, when it arrives, we don't run away. 
Oswald Chambers wrote it this way. To choose to suffer means that there's something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Be merciful to God's reputation. It is easy to blacken God's character because God never answers back. He never vindicates himself. Take, for instance, God's so-called waste of saints, according to the judgment of the world. God plants his saints in some of the most useless places. And we say, God intends me to be here because I'm so useful. Jesus never estimated his life along the line of the greatest use. God puts his saints where they will glorify him most, and we are no judges at all of where that is. I'm not suggesting that you pursue suffering. Your Bible is suggesting that you embrace it when it comes, as if your life depended on it. Have you heard about the trees in the biodomes? These biodomes are these giant covered natural laboratories like that one. Uh, the scientists who do these things learn something about the trees in the biodomes. They would only grow to a certain height, and then they would die. And they learned that what the problem was, was their trees had an underdeveloped root system. You know why? No wind in a biodome. No stress in a biodome. No storms in a biodome. No suffering. And so they wither and die. I asked you a few minutes ago if you'd be willing to think about your suffering. Um, before I give you a chance to go to the Lord with it, and I hope you will, I'd like to offer um, a practical approach. What I did was, as I've been journaling over these past few months in my own experience with suffering, I've been writing questions. Probably have a list of 20 questions. And so I... I thought what I would do is a, as a way of sort of a practical extension of help for those of you who are in suffering now, uh, on the verge of suffering, on the other side of suffering, offer a practical approach. Three questions. One question never to ask when you're in suffering, and two questions always to ask. One question never to ask, two questions always to ask. First, question never to ask. Just one word. Why? Why me? Why now? Why not them? Why this? It's really tempting to ask why in your darkest moment. But there are three problems with why, at least three. One, you're not likely to get an answer, first of all. Second, even if you could get an answer, it wouldn't help you. Jesus knew the why of his suffering. And still, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in pain, feeling it to the depths of his soul, he still asks, Lord, if it's possible, could this cup pass before me? He suffered. And he knew why. And then, in a beat later, he said, no, 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 not my will, but yours. Second, you, the answer's not likely to help you. And thirdly, 
Asking why gives the enemy too much room to create doubt in your heart. Asking why creates an opening. It's, I like what Oswald Chambers said. Asking why makes it too easy to blacken God's character. If you want to know more about asking why and the dangers of asking why, read Job. I've been going through Job in an audiobook over and over again. It has helped me not to ask the question, why? So that's one question not to ask in suffering. But there are two that I think you should ask. And these are the top two out of many. These are the ones I wanted to leave you with because I think they're most important. Question number one, what does obedience look like today? For those in Christ, suffering is crucial obedience practice. And I use the word crucial specifically because it's from the root crucify. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. You can be certain that in your suffering, God wants your attention. If you've said that, you're right. What he wants you to do is attend to his voice and obey. And that's much easier said than done because in my darkest times, I was tempted to pay more attention to my circumstances and what I didn't see than my Savior, who I did see. In your suffering, don't look at your circumstances, he says. Look at me. Trust me. Stand on my promise. Notice there's something about this Hebrews text. You probably already picked up on it. It says, and I told you we'd be there, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard, did you hear that? He was heard because of his reverent submission. Did you notice that he was heard, but he wasn't saved from death? A lot of times, in our hardest times, we don't think we're heard because we don't see circumstances that give us evidence of being heard. Don't trust your circumstances. Look full in his face. Can you imagine if Jesus had made judgments on his circumstances? When our daughter Suzanne was young, toddlerish, um, she fell against our wood stove and it had a sharp edge, and she opened a gash above her eye. It was bad, and you could still see a pretty little scar there today. Um, we rushed her to get treatment, and there was blood everywhere, and she was screaming and sobbing, and the poor doctor was trying to put stitches a half an inch from her eyeball, and she wouldn't sit still. And so Pam and I had to literally hold her down on this table, so that he could put stitches in, and I'll never forget the look in her eye. She was experiencing pain on the way to healing, pain that she couldn't understand, and as we pressed down on that table, I remember that look, and I remember it to this day, and it was as if she said, I thought you loved me. Don't ever trust your circumstances, especially in those dark moments. And I think everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about.
So what do you do when you're suffering when it doesn't make sense? What do you do when God doesn't do what you'd hoped he would? That's what happened to a young man named Cameron Horner. Six years ago, what was my life like? I didn't like to sit still. I loved hanging out with friends, had really solid relationships. That was Cameron Horner. I knew what I wanted to do. I, you know, I really encountered the Lord at this point and uh, wanted to go into ministry somehow. Cameron got accepted into a Bible college and began making plans to attend after high school. Car was packed, I, I was ready. Uh, I was ready to go. On the way to college, Cameron went to the lake with his family and friends. On the second day of the vacation, all his plans changed. Dove into shallow water, hit my head on, on the bottom, broke my neck, and the, uh, the broken neck went into my spinal cord. The bones did, and I was paralyzed. Cameron, still underwater, was unable to swim to the surface. He soon began to run out of air. I began to really realize I could die here. I couldn't move anything. Tried to swim up, couldn't, so I just began to pray. A miracle occurred under the water. When I ran out of breath, I kind of gasped a little bit, but instead of taking in water, it's hard to explain other than just I, could, I had more air. Cameron kept praying, and finally one of his friends found him and pulled him to shore. Calling out to the Lord through the scriptures, calling on his, his name all the way back to the shore as my best friend at this point, is dragging my limp body as best she can. Uh, they give me in the ambulance. Um, you know, I'm still thanking the Lord for, for healing. I'm still talking about healing. After two intense surgeries and several tests, Cameron had to face the truth. I remember doctors saying uh, he's broken neck and paralyzed. Um, I remember dad coming over to me. His head falls on my chest and he just begins to sob. His friends and family asked others to pray. Soon, the miraculous story of him breathing underwater went viral. Some people even gave their lives to Christ. Still, Cameron had unanswered questions. Why didn't God heal him? Cameron's goal was to be healed. During this time, he experienced another kind of loss. I think sometimes people are less willing to pursue relationships with people who are broken and sick and in wheelchairs. I lost some really close relationships. Some of it seemed to be because I wasn't getting healed. All the tears shed, none of it was about this. You know, the whole paralyzed thing. I never cried about that. I didn't deal well with it. It was really, really hard. One of his mentors shared with Cameron how Jesus suffered in order to bring glory to God. Cameron began to explore what it means to endure the cross. Jesus suffered. Paul's always talking about suffering. And I had seen those scriptures. They would weigh on my heart. It's like, wow, that doesn't fit my faith healing thing. But Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where we haven't done that is where we get sorrow. There's sorrow when I set hope in other things like the healing. But when I set my hope fully in what God has promised, he has promised to come and restore all things. If I set my hope fully there, I'm going to have joy. The healing may or may not happen. I may or may not have great relationships. But what will happen is Jesus will come back and will give me a resurrected body. And I will be out of this wheelchair. Now Cameron shares his story and what he's learned with others. Three years ago, I'd be looking at myself right now and be like, you lost faith for healing, you gave up. 
I realized, okay, I never lost faith. Is that my faith was redirected. I wanted to go into ministry this way, go to school, and now the Lord has just thrust me into ministry a different way through the avenue of this injury. You, you may have the faith to be healed, but do you have the faith to continue on when you're not? What the Lord's done to me is given me the strength and faith to, to continue on. He, he did it so tenderly and so, so well. He turned my heart to it, like my desire is to be used by Him in this way. It's a rejoicing. One of the most powerful prayers you can pray in your suffering is, Lord, I will obey you no matter what I see. Speak. So, what does obedience look like? Second question, who needs me today? Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The Lord's suffering was really about someone else. You know who. You. Me. If you are suffering, you can be certain there is someone, there are multiple someones who need you. If you're in Christ, suffering is always a call to action. One of the days a few months ago when I was in the most pain, I took someone to lunch who I had met just a few weeks earlier who was in worse pain than me. And we're sitting in this restaurant and He's telling me his story, and tears are falling, and I'm feeling my own pain, and all of a sudden realizing this is why I hurt for him. In the book of 2 Corinthians, I love this. Paul calls Jesus the God of all comfort. He says he comforts us in all our troubles. You know why? I'll tell you so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Your suffering isn't just for your benefit. I'll say it again. Your suffering isn't just for your benefit. Jaden Hayes is just a little boy and he gets that. It's every kid's worst nightmare, and Jaden Hayes has lived it. Ah! Twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then, not long after, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried, I tried to get her away. Couldn't. Jaden was understandably heartbroken. Anybody can die. Does anybody. But as we first reported in 2015, there was another side to his grief, a side he shared with his temporary guardian, Barbara DeCola, after the second funeral. He told her he was getting tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And that was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. <laughs> Jaden asked Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lived. Thank you, sweetie. So he could then. You want me to have it? Give them away. Thank you, man. I'm trying to make 
make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs. Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really. See that man right there? Jaden targeted people who weren't already smiling and tried to turn their day around. You made me smile. And it worked. It's to make you smile. Even if it wasn't always quite the reaction he was hoping for. It was just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy, expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he was paid handsomely in hugs. And Jaden says those did help. But I'm still sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This was by no means a fix. But in the smiles he made, Jaden clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to beat 33,000. 33,000? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm-hmm. You think you can make that goal? Uh, I think I can. It's been two years now since we first met Jaden. Today, he lives in Winterville, Georgia with Scott and Diane Hollers, his aunt and uncle. Mother. And although he still thinks about his mom and dad a lot. How are you doing? Pretty good. Jaden says he's in a happier place now. And as for his smile project, he would like to return to that mission someday. But until then, he's focusing on more age-appropriate goals. What do you want to be? Famous basketball player and famous baseball player. And there's the only smile that matters. Steve Hartman on the road in Winterville, Georgia. In your suffering, be ready to love someone else. If that describes you today, I want to make it clear that God is with you. That if you say to the Lord, Lord, this hurts, he will say to you, I know. I understand. I know you. I know your name, and I'm with you, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself. I am here. Look at me. If I could hold you when pain presses hard and sorrow strikes deep, if I could help you when worry plagues your soul and loneliness curses your solitude, if I could pick you up when you're on your back and at your last, I would whisper the one who knows your name and feels your pain. I would tell you your tears are mighty and strong a worship refrain. I would speak of the glory that's so much more than your trouble, but the end of your story. So hold tight to his promise, hold fast to his grace, and in your emptiest times, look full in his face. Can't not respond to this. Here's the invitation. Two groups of people. If you would say right now that this is a season of suffering for you, it's hard, and you want to clear the distraction of circumstances and tell the Lord, I'm here, I'm listening, and I'll obey, then as the next song is playing, I'd like you to come to the altar. Second group, if you know someone close to you who is right now in pain and suffering, I'd like you to volunteer to come forward as a proxy for that person. 
And then when the service is over, you can text them or email them or call them or visit them and say, we prayed for you today. God sees you. So one, if it's you, I invite you to come forward during the song. If you'd like to stand in proxy of someone you know is hurting, you come forward as well. No one's going to bother you. There'll be pastors at either end. If you'd like someone to pray for you specifically, lay hands on you, they're ready. Otherwise, just come and present yourself before the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.